You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit tucklaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. Welcome back, all you good people. It's been a little while since our last episode, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the summer because we got a lot of great stuff coming up. I'm Brian Tuck. This is Creative Confidential, the podcast for creators. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite bands. And if you don't know who these guys are, I hope uh, this episode turns you on to them. My guest today is District 97. District 97 is a modern progressive rock band from Chicago that brings a lot to the table. They're currently out on tour celebrating the band's 10th anniversary and they're working out new material for their upcoming fourth studio album. And today, we get a chance to ride along in the van with them while they're out on the road. So we're actually in the van with them as they are driving through some somewhere through upstate New York uh, as they uh, are driving on their way to the next show. So without any further delay, here we go. My guests today are one of the most exciting rock bands, I think. My wife thinks I'm obsessed with these guys, which may be the case. Uh, but my guests today are District 97. Leslie Hunt, Jim Tashian, Andrew Lawrence, Tim Sizer, and Jonathan Shang. Thanks so much for joining us from uh, from the road, I hear. Yes, thank you very much for having us. We are in a van heading to New York City <laughs> from Canada. So the band's out on its 10th anniversary tour right now. How long have you been out on the road? We left on the 1st. And uh, we come back on the 12th. So it's just about 10 days of Prague. <laughs> right. And, and you know, you're in an interesting space because I think a lot of people, you could call this band a lot of different things. It's a rock band. It's a prog band. There are elements of um, almost like power pop. I, I That might be a... My my label, I don't know if that fits for you guys, but it's not um, what people might think of in terms of like the Moody Blues or, or Old School Yes or Old School Genesis. Tell us a little bit about the band's sound and how, how you guys would describe yourselves. Um, well, last night someone told us we sound a little like King Crimson and we get that sometimes, but we're like a modern take on that. Yeah, we like to call ourselves a modern prog band just because I guess the history of prog has been bringing in uh, contemporary influences and I guess previous influences into some sort of, you know, amalgamation of stuff that comes out as uh, unique and, you know, in, intentional. Like we, we all grew up listening to rock music from the 90s and stuff. Somebody told us last night we sound like Rage Against the Machine which I like a lot. That's a little more of a contemporary reference for stuff I was listening to growing up as a kid. So I don't know. Well, there's 
definitely a high emphasis on musicianship and 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 technical ability for sure. Um, these are not, um, you, you know, your arrangements are they're both very accessible for people that might not be uh, proggers, as you as if you will, but. Um, <laughs> You know, they're accessible to that audience. And then also there's a lot going on, especially, you know, in some of your longer compositions like like Blinding Vision or, you know, or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, that's quite all right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You've got a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for your fourth studio album. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? This is Jonathan here. Yeah. The last one you heard from was Jim, by the way, but, uh, yeah. So the Kickstarter, this is the uh, third one that we've done. And, uh, so this time we are doing things a little differently in that we've got, a number of stretch goals. So we set the goal intentionally kind of on the lower side, just to make sure that we would hit that. And we did hit that a couple days ago, which is great. Uh, but now kind of the other piece of the campaign is to hit these other goals so that we can also, in addition to making the album uh, the best it can be, we can then take it out on the road next year and also do a 5.1 surround sound mix so um, I, uh, so I think if we hit $25,000 on the campaign, I think anyone who pledges at $100 and up will get that, um, yeah, perhaps contingent on if they also join the Inside the Vault Club, which is our subscription series. Still uh, kind of ironing that part out, depending on what happens uh, with the campaign in the next week or so. But anyway, um, that's kind of the approach we're taking on that. And it's gotten a great response. And uh, yeah, we've got some really cool rewards. Like for instance, um, one thing that a couple people have done is they've selected the reward where Leslie will record the cover song of their choice with a solo piano, a solo piano vocal uh, interpretation of a song of their choosing. So a lot of fun stuff like that, that, uh, is a unique opportunity for someone who's a fan of what we do. You know, you really seem to have have a comprehensive approach to funding the business. And, and you know, like I, I tell the people that I work with or, or musician friends of mine that are, you know, that, that sort of are, I don't want to say stuck in the past, but you know, can't are having a hard time adapting to the fact that there is no record industry really unless you can produce it yourselves. And, you know, what what was your experience like with Kickstarter? Like rewind to the first time that you did a Kickstarter campaign. What was that experience like in terms of designing it, uh, achieving the goals? How long did it take, you know, kind of take us into that world a little bit this is probably a jonathan question again sure um well i i had sort of gotten my feet wet with it a little bit um before we record our second album 
Um, I put a live show up on Bandcamp, and I had like uh, if you paid a certain amount, we would send you a T-shirt and blah 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 stuff like that. So it was sort of a primer, a little bit as to how it worked. Um, so then in 2014, when we were getting ready to record uh, what became our third album, In Vaults. Uh, I decided to do a proper Kickstarter campaign. And uh, I mean, really, it sort of just involved looking at other campaigns that had been successful and seeing what they did and kind of coming up with similar sorts of rewards that could apply to what we were doing. And uh, yeah, that campaign, we set the goal $12,000. And uh, I didn't really have a plan for what I had no idea really how long it would take to hit that, but we, I think we got up to close to $8,000 in the first day and, and we hit the 12 within a few days and we've had a similar result with this last one. Um, but once it hit the 12, I kind of was like, okay, well now what do I do? We've got all this extra time. So I kind of, uh, was scrambling a little bit to keep it, keep the momentum up and, so anyhow, yeah, so I was thinking, like, what, what are some things I could do to keep it going? And I had stuff like uh, if you – anyone who pledges over $50 or more gets – well, I'm not sure if this was the first or second campaign. It may have been the second one, but there was a cover version of uh, us doing Walking on Sunshine that I had lying around. So, so I did stuff like that, like what's some, like, cool thing I could offer um, exclusive to people who can contribute and – hopefully to get some more people to jump in. So that's kind of become a big part of my approach to this is offering exclusive things. Like for instance, in this current campaign, we're making a live album of the new material that will be limited to 300 copies that is only available at the hundred dollar level and up in the campaign. So I find exclusive content is is something and a limited edition exclusive content is something that gets people pretty excited. Uh, yeah, I think that the like having a perceived premium or, or some premium, whether it's whether you're selling concert tickets or recorded music, is definitely the way to go. Um, do you? So here's a, here's a, another sort of inside baseball question for you guys. Are you? Do you record and engineer the records yourselves? Where are you? Where do you record your studio albums? Thus far, we've done all of our studio albums at Ivy Lab Studios, which uh, coincidentally, actually, not at all. We actually named our last album kind of after that studio, In Vaults, because IV stands for In Vaults. Um, the old uh, recording studio, the first one where we recorded the first two albums, right? Because Trouble in the Sheens was also, okay. Uh, it was in an old bank vault up on Irving Park and Clark, or yeah, Clark and Irving Park. So it was a pretty cool building. There's like a foot of uh, solid steel on either side of the A recording room. It's uh, got a really cool vibe and sound. But they moved to another big building recently and we did our last album uh, there. And we plan to do our next one there too as well. So what is the plan where you're you're working out material now doing a live recording and then when will the studio recording take place? Basically right when we get back into town we have a couple days to uh, lay down the basic tracks. Um, that's the that's the plan. Uh, right now we're just basically playing 
all of the new music on the road and getting really comfortable with it and learning a lot about it. And, um, yeah, so we're ironing out all the kinks on the road and then we'll come back and hit it really hard and fresh when we get back. So take us back a little bit into the sort of the band's early history, because, uh, you know, again, we may be introducing you to, to a lot of new people, uh, w- with this interview. So, uh, you know, I know you're from Chicago and t- tell us a little bit about the evolution of uh, the band. Cause I know we had some personnel, uh, changes a little while ago. Right. So it was an instrumental band for about a year, would you say? Yeah, about a year and a half before I joined. Uh, the original guitarist was a guy named Sam Cron. Um, I first heard the band when I opened for them as a solo artist. Um, I And I stuck around to hear the set, and I just was obsessed. I loved it. I was like, this is incredible. I really want to be a part of this. Um, and I, I needed an outlet like this. <laughs> Uh, the the amount of emotion that I was hearing that I felt like I could be a part of was like astounding. So um, so then Jonathan was like, sure. And then he started writing songs for me to sing. And that was in 2008, like towards the end of the summer of 2008 is when I kind of joined the band. And, uh, but most of us were, uh, I went to music school with Jonathan and then the two original key, like, the keyboardist and the bassist that were original. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got involved. But I know they've been playing music together. They had been playing music together at that point since they were in elementary school because uh, they grew up together. Well, the, the, the chemistry is certainly undeniable. So I, I saw you last uh, when you were coming through Kennett, Pennsylvania, which is down by the Pennsylvania Maryland border uh, at a at a venue called the Flash, and you know it was just so refreshing to see a band that has all the tools. Songwriting is strong, performance is strong, musicianship is great, and you know you had a really you had a really enthusiastic big audience. Um, for that venue, it was really, I just, you know, this really isn't a question. I just wanted to compliment you guys. Cause it's, it, there really are not a lot of great players bands, you know, that, that I think that musicians can come to go see and get something out of it and non-musicians can go see and still enjoy it. You know what I mean? Thank you. We really appreciate that. And that's, uh, that's good news because we hope that what we're doing, you know, is still accessible. We know it's quite technical and we know how long it takes us to figure out what in the world is going on, let alone people just hearing it for the first time. So that's awesome. Thanks for that bit of feedback. This is Jim. This is Jim, by the way. Um, yeah, we, we're all kind of professional musicians too, outside of uh, district 97 and we have a lot of musician friends and it tends to be what makes up our audiences and other scenarios where we're kind of just playing for our other friends who are also <laughs> really, really great musicians. And it's kind of tough to impress there. So we really do pride ourselves on being able to play for someone who doesn't really know what's going on and just understands that it sounds cool and we're rocking out. Right. Exactly. Like, like, like the, like the introductory section to like back and forth where you've got that sort of hammering 16th note, um, 
passage and then and then that spreads around the ensemble you know like i i get those clips from my drummer friends and guitarist friends and then when we when we have friends of ours that aren't musicians that we take along there they leave you know they leave the show thinking about the melody or thinking about some of the lyrics which is really really hard to do so you know, kudos to you guys for finding that balance. I think you're one of the few that can do it. Thank you. Yeah, we like we like to have unsuspecting earworms creep out here and there. We're going to come back with the second half of the interview in just a minute. But first, I wanted to let you know that if you want to get on my email list, because I have a lot of essays and a lot of written content that comes along with the podcast that you may not know about, just text the word creator. C-R-E-A-T-O-R, to 66866. Again, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. We'll be right back. People ask me who I wrote this book for, and it's really pretty simple. I wrote it for everyone who feels anxious on Sunday afternoon or feels sick on Sunday night because they don't want to go into work on Monday morning. I know who you are because I was there until I got myself free. You can do it too with a little help. This book won't make you a millionaire, but you can use it to become your own boss and become independent. Are you ready? Risk, Create, Change. A survival guide for startups and creators is now available on Amazon.com. For more information, visit us on the web at riskcreatechange.com. You know, Jim, you you mentioned something um, a minute ago about, you know, so what goes on outside the band. And I think it's, it's really important to talk about, you know, you have this project... And you, I think you, you, uh, this is a guess. I mean, are you, are you all working outside of the band to sustain yourselves? Like what else goes on when the band is not working? Yeah, I think we're, we have a pretty unique situation where we actually are all working musicians outside of this band. So it, it in some ways puts a little bit added stress because um, like nothing is a sure thing, I guess for any of us, we don't, none of us have like data nine to five jobs. And, uh, I've found it's kind of, that's kind of rare these days where like a band that actually goes out and tours multiple times per year where, um, it's not people who have day jobs and like a little more stability. So I think that also informs our experiences and our music, our musicianship a lot though, is that, I mean, Tim does a lot of solo based stuff. He's really excellent at that. He does a lot of exploring, uh, exploring sounds and stuff with pedals. Andrew, like the workhorse of Chicago jazz scene, he's playing playing gigs pretty much three and four times a day. Um, <laughs> Jonathan does a lot of playing. He does a lot of dance class accompaniment. Leslie is a professional musician. Uh, I am as well. So yeah, it's just kind of always having the grind. Always. Uh, you know, doing, make, making music to make, to earn a living. Uh, and then we get out on the road and this is kind of like a well-oiled machine at this point where we worked on a lot of stuff and it's kind of just another one of our jobs. Well, it's, it's interesting in that 
a lot of people that want to make the jump from uh, from being a civilian, I don't even know what you'd call it, but like, let's say there's somebody out there, they're working a day job, they're a great guitarist, and they could make it as a pro, but there's always that fear of leaving the nine-to-five world or leaving something more structured. Were you ever at that point? And if so, what was the thing that made you decide to go for it? Okay, Andrew, the keyboardist, is driving, but we're going to give him a shot here. I'm going to hold the thing, so hopefully you can hear. All right, here's Andrew. Hey, yeah, this is Andrew. Um, so I was teaching piano for about five years um, when I moved back to Chicago after college. And there was something rewarding about it, but it was also just a grind. You know, and then you're putting all this energy out to kids who don't always practice, and that can be very frustrating. And then I would also find that there's a balance when you have to maintain teaching. You have to turn down gigs to maintain your teaching schedule. And I just kept found that I was trying to shift the balance more and more towards performing, less towards teaching, until I finally pulled the plug in August. And I've been doing just gigging since then. Um, and I personally love it. I don't really miss I miss having good students who practice but I really don't miss teaching kids who don't care and I really like the flexibility of the schedule the fact that I all I have to do is gig and prepare and make sure I'm ready for all the gigs Tim would you like to contribute Tim Tim will contribute at some point and that's going to be great but I think that and Jim has something to add. Jim again. Yeah, I do sometimes. I've known a lot of really great musicians in my life that get to the point where the grind of like outside gigs becomes like a little too much and they decide they'd rather just write their own music and work as a banker or something. And sometimes I envy that because I think in, it can be very emotionally and physically taxing playing other people's music all the time. And sometimes when you get home at the end of the day after a gig, the last thing in the world you want to do is pick up a guitar and like start working on your own music so sometimes that can be a little you know demotivating but once you kind of get that second wind a lot of times really great stuff comes out of it so i think we're gonna i think we're gonna entitle this episode in the van with district 97 this is uh this is like we're along for the ride this is great (laughs) we're just passing you around here's another issue that I was really wanting, really was curious to talk to you about was working with the legendary, uh, and, and unfortunately the late John Wetton. How did, how did that come about? All right, Jonathan, give him your worst. It's my time to shine. So John and I seemed to remember it differently, but the way I remembered us first getting in touch was, it was after our first album, Hybrid Child came out and I was just kind of blanketing the internet in any reasonable location with with our first music video for the song I Can't Take You With Me just to try and get the word out. And so I posted it on his online message board and I didn't really know that he was so closely monitoring that board. I just thought it was, you know, people, his fans were on there, but he actually was quite active on that. And so he checked the thread out and he really liked the song. So he ended up, I randomly got an email one day 
at our district 97 email address. And it was John, uh, asking for a t-shirt and, uh, he said he would wear it at some, uh, promotional events. And he did end up wearing it in a photo with Jordan Rudith and Mike Mangini. So we were just exchanging emails for a while, just kind of, you know, talking about UK and everything, which was about to reunite at that time. And I was a huge fan of UK as well as Crimson. So um, eventually I wrote a song called The Perfect Young Man, which was on our second album, Trouble with Machines. And it had both like a, a female and a male role in the song. And so at live, Leslie would put a hat on for the male parts. And that was about the extent of uh, what we did to differentiate it. But it was our former bassist, Patrick Mulcahy's idea to ask John if he would be up for singing the song. And I thought that was probably like a one in a million shot. But I did ask him and he was amenable to it immediately. So, yeah, we ended up sending him that track and he added his part to it and kind of went above and beyond and added some harmony parts as well for other portions of the song. And so, yeah, that went well and everyone was happy with how that went. So then our first time we went to Europe the following year, I asked John if he would want to team up with us for some shows and he did and and that went well. And so we did a set of King Crimson material with him as well as our own set of music. And then we took it to the States later in the year and we ended up releasing a live album called One More Red Night from our final show with him in Chicago. And we would have teamed up with him again on Cruise to the Edge 2017 had he not been so ill. We were uh, preparing a full career retrospective of, of his music that we were going to do with him, which unfortunately we did not get to do. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the short version of how all that happened. Well, the, the decision to even make the request is something that separates your story from about, you know, 99 other people that would never have even thought to ask him, you know, hey, would you would you mind singing on this? You know, while you're at it, um, that's pretty. It's just pretty astonishing that if you if you just ask the question, sometimes really great things flow out of that. Jonathan's basic motto is just "Why not? Yeah, What's that, the worst well, that, that could happen?" Idea. Yeah, this was Patrick's idea, but that's Jonathan's overall like approach. He just. He, he manages us and books us and uh, just really is tenacious about it and doesn't mind, you know, being, you know, asking things that maybe would seem like a long shot. He's like, what's the harm in it? So it's cool. I mean, sometimes I feel a little embarrassed, like doing it myself. <laughs> but, but then I'm always right. So. He's not always right, but he's right really often. Yeah. But well, that that's that psychology is what separates successful startups from from everybody else, and and I think a, I think a lot of times the fear of failure is what stops people from doing you know potentially really great things. Kind of jumping around topics a little bit, but um, so describe the songwriting process. It seems, you know. 
it seems like we've we've had a lot of references in this conversation to you know Jonathan wrote this or or that but um can you can you can you tell us a little bit about how each member uh you know contributes to the overall process I'm going to hand this question over to the great Tim Sizer our bass player um I bet he's going to have a good one here he is So the I think the process always evolves based on who's participating and who has the sort of initial idea. Um, the, lately, with the new lineup, I can I can only speak to what the writing process has been for the new album um, because I was not around for the writing process for the older albums. But it's generally someone comes to the table with some sort of a framework, and how developed that framework is varies based on. Uh, who, who's bringing what? Um, it's sometimes it's very developed, and we tweak as we see fit. And I know with my first idea that I brought to the band, it was very raw. Uh, it was just more or less a chord progression and uh, a groove and a, a little bridge section, but not a lot of melody, no lyrics. And um, we just kind of worked it out. I remember the first session, it was just Jonathan and I. We just got together as the bass player drummer, and I bounced ideas off of him, and we kind of developed the groove for it. And then we brought in Andrew and Jim, and I showed them some of the harmony. And then we sort of worked out a framework for a form. And then once you had the, the lyrics and the melody, you start to get a better idea of, does this need to happen twice, or can this only happen once? And should we cut this, and should we move this there? So it's a fairly democratic process as of now to where um, you bring something to the table knowing that it's not sacred and that the input of the entire band is more important than the input of one particular person because it should it should reflect the sound of the band and not necessarily the sound of the in- individual well, it certainly sounds as though you've got a really kind of uh, organic process and having, you know, having the attitude that, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts um, is, is so important. Yeah. And, and, and it helps us all sell it, too, you know, because especially if we're doing all these songs night after night and if we felt like we weren't really expressing ourselves and what we thought was a good idea for the song or what um it might be hard because there's different aspects of all of these songs where i know we get fired up as individuals and that helps us get into that emotional space night after night i i know that's how it feels for me anyway are you on this tour are you performing the same set list every show or are you do you have a few songs you swap in and out all of our sets have been totally different lengths so we have songs that are mainstays that we know are just strong no matter what the venue no matter what the the other acts on the um and then other songs that you know we can throw in for just i don't know yeah exactly we we swap them in and out well i I would think that would go a long way to just kind of keeping um uh, keeping everybody on their toes in a good way so that it doesn't you know become like this rote thing that happens in sequence every time the same way. Right. Yeah. And 
yeah, I don't, I, that would be hard for me. I like, I like little changes. So every night we kind of, we, we, we tweak it a little bit and we're learning about these songs on the road too. Um, stuff that, you know, people are really responding to that, you know, maybe we didn't see coming quite as much, but it's helping us place these songs in the right spot. Well, I can't thank you enough, guys and and lady, lady and gentlemen, um, for for joining us uh, today. It's really been a pleasure. And um, so we've got, we'll link to everything in the show notes and in sharing the episode, I'll share all of your links as well. But for listeners that are interested in finding out more about the band, the website is where, is where? The website is district97.net. It has all of our information on there, all of our shows and, uh, the, and Facebook and Instagram and, uh, and Twitter. So like, yeah, we're all over the place. And you can definitely go to our website and become a member, a, a key holder, if you will, of our Inside the Vault Club and also uh, pledge to our Kickstarter. That would be huge. The, the, yeah, the, uh, the Inside the Vault Club is a really cool thing, I think. I'm a member and um, it's what, I think it's seven ninety nine a month? Yeah, for the premium member, you can be in it for as little as is four ninety nine a month, but you get more stuff at the higher level. And just a quick little thing about the next issue. We were talking about the early days of the band. Um, for the next one, I'm taking it back to 2008 in the track called Lost Cat, which was the second thing we ever worked on, which our former guitarist Sam Cron had brought in. So that will be a cool thing uh, for, for people to check out. And that will be released May 15th to members. It's so important that if you have, if you really are a person that wants to support good music, you know, even if stylistically maybe it's not your thing, go support this Kickstarter campaign because this is the way great music gets made now. I mean, there are no, you know, unless you're in the one percent of the recording industry, like a like a Taylor Swift or somebody like that, where you have label support everybody else is in the same boat of having to finance it themselves. So um, we'll link to the Kickstarter campaign and, you know, really, I just wish you guys all the success in the world and um, really look forward to uh, the new record. Thank you very much. We really appreciate uh, being able to come on your show and, and talk about what we're doing. Thanks for this opportunity. Anytime. Well, hopefully we can check back. Maybe when the record comes out, we can we can do a part two and kind of break it down a little bit. So that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And you also helped us kill like almost an hour in the van, which is great. Cause it's been <laughs> there and actually, it's pretty beautiful where we are right now, but we've been in here a long time. Yep. Uh, well, it's uh, that's part of the, part of the gig, I suppose. But uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, District 97. Go check them out. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices. <laughs>